We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and Jack. We are talking about the Nets' first playoff loss of the postseason, Game 3 against the Celtics, 119-125. Jack, how are we feeling? Uh, not great, Nick, but it's uh, one loss, and hopefully it doesn't turn into two. Yep, and obviously the Nets, even as poorly as they played, had opportunities to win this game. They just did not. But, as always, you can find the Buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do we start? Well, we can go right from the start, Nick, because uh, if we're going like six minutes into the game, it was all rosy and everyone was calling it after it was 19-4. And then after that, it was uh, it was not so great. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I mean, the Nets came out with some good intensity to start the game. Offensively, things were smooth, got out in transition, got some easy buckets for your guy, Joe Harris. And then after that, you know, the Cel- I think Brad Stevens actually called a timeout. After that timeout, Celtics responded, I think, with like an 8-0 run. And then from that point on, they pretty much were in control of this game. And credit to them because they played well. Jason Tatum was excellent. A lot of guys stepped up on that team. But again, you know, the Nets really had a lot of self-inflicted wounds in this game. Self-inflicted in a lot of ways, Nick. Defensively, just off, like just allowing so many easy switches. Just like it was, just like fight through it a little bit. Don't yep. like get the switch because he was abusing Kyrie. Tatum mm. was literally abusing him like it was Deuce Tatum. Like I, I, I don't, <laughs> and and yeah, I think that there was just we made things too easy for Boston tonight. The yep. the the Nets just made it way too easy. They just got all the shots that they wanted. They got all the switches that they wanted. And it, it was just as, as simple as that. They were harder on the rebound. They fought harder than we did. And they got more points in the paint. All the little things that a team needs to do to win the game. You know, get you hit your three-point shot as well. You know, outside Kemba Walker, you know, it was basically, you know, they were hitting everything. Yep. 
And I think also, Jack, you made a great point with the defense. You know, obviously, I think that was on multiple levels. But also, if you do want to stick with the switching scheme, then you need to have an adjustment for when, you know, Jason Tatum does get Kyrie Irving. And I felt like you said, you know, he was just going to work on Kyrie. And Jason Tatum is a great player. You let him get hot. He's just going to continue to cook. And that's what we saw the rest of the game. Even when he had, you know, Bruce Brown, uh, Kevin Durant on him, he was starting to hit shots because he was in such a great rhythm. And I just felt like, you know, some of that's obviously the Nets defensively as players. And like you said, you know, making the switches harder. But also I felt like Steve Nash should have probably had, you know, a better adjustment for Jason Tatum in this game to frustrate him and force other Celtics to beat you. You know, if Marcus Smart drops 30, you know, you, you just take the L. But Jason Tatum is a guy, he can score 50 and they kind of, to an extent, let it happen. Obviously, Tatum hit a lot of great shots, but they allowed him to get cooking. Yeah, and he was quite aggressive in the Nets' interior defense. Was yep. pretty piss weak as well. Uh, we, we saw like what, like one, like faux double on him, where James Harden yep. sort of like creates a, a little bit of you know distraction for him a little bit throughout the entire game. And it's just like they have one pure scorer. Kemba Walker is trash now. He can smile at whatever the hell that he wants. He's not a good player anymore. And it's just like, you know what the game plan is. You know, Tatum is going to switch on to Kyrie or Bruce Brown or Blake Griffin. And you're just letting it happen every single time and like expecting something different to happen. There was one decent possession, I think, from Blake and Kyrie individually throughout the entire game when they were guarding Tatum in isolation. You can't let good isolation players get the isolation and get the switch. Like, you're not, like, I think the Boston Celtics did a better job of it. You know, the first half, it was just like, 48, 48, 48, 48, 48. And then it's just like, oh, let's make some little adjustments here. You know, Tristan Thompson was a little bit better when he was isolated onto Harden or, or, or KD and such. And, you know, Fournier played less minutes here and there. They sort of got him out of the way where he wasn't getting in those switches. Romeo Langford, you know, was a bit feisty at times. You know, Brad Stevens made adjustments. Steve Nash didn't. And the players didn't either. Like, yes... You know, Steve Nash is going to get a, a heap of probably shade on Twitter or whatever. And he deserves a lot of it. But the players were also, you know, have the intelligence to go, oh, maybe we should do something different here because the, the same thing is happening over and over and over again. Yeah, and I think some of it, too, is just basic, you know, communication and rotations and just kind of having help. And like you said, Jack, you know, I thought the Celtics did a better job of kind of having a support system if their weak defender got switched on to one of the Nets elite players. And where on the other hand, it felt like Jason Tatum was able to operate with a lot of space get comfortable and get in his rhythm and just shoot over guys that were smaller than him. And I think overall, you know, we could talk about the defense even more. You know, the on-ball defense tonight was pretty bad from pretty much everyone but Kevin Durant. Then also, I think the closeouts are pretty poor in this game. It was just kind of like excessive closeouts on players that aren't great and ending up running past them, biting on a pump fake, and then giving up a wide-open three where it's like, this is the playoffs. You need to show a different level of intensity and intelligence. Yeah, it was it was lazy mentally, yeah, you know, just lazy engagement to be just like to just they just felt like you know ah well we'll hang around here we'll let our yep. offense take over and and we've said it all season you know the the guy who's sitting on the sidelines right now has probably been the one that's preached it the most we need our defense to dictate our offense and it just didn't tonight and this was the the boss the Brooklyn Nets of old in terms of how poor they were defensively like. Like you said, Nick, Kevin Durant was probably the only good defensive player tonight. And that's saying something, you know. He had four steals and a block. Everyone outside of that, you know, you Clax had one block. Joe Harris got a block and a couple of steals here or there. But, I, you know, going beyond the, the box score, th- there was just 
it seems to me a lack of intensity, a real lack of defensive intensity. And, you know, we've sort of seen Kyrie Irving get, you know, switched onto isolations. And so we've sort of been like, yeah, he's been okay. Yeah, he's been engaged. Yeah, he's been feisty. He just wasn't there mentally tonight in terms of his engagement on the defensive end of the floor and offensive end of the floor for that matter too. Yeah, obviously, you know, he was one of many players, like you said, Jack, that just just weren't fully locked in. And I also think the physicality from the Nets wasn't there. And that led to them getting more foul calls, you know, called on them. Just because if you play as the aggressor, the refs kind of give you the benefit of the doubt. A lot of fouls went against them that maybe weren't going against them in game one and game two. But that's a lot of it of positioning. You know, I just felt like there's a lot of times where guys weren't in good position on ball, off ball. And like I said, the support system for the Nets tonight just wasn't really there. And Celtics players were feeling comfortable and confident. And essentially going this game, they had nothing to lose. And they kind of played like that. Yeah, you're letting that Kardashian simp Tristan Thompson like <laughs> yell out to the crowd and act like he's prime Wilt Chamberlain. Like, and look, he was really good tonight. He made a big impact. His offensive rebounding was a massive problem for the yep. Brooklyn Nets. Blake Griffin is a horrible rebounder. I'm, I'm going to put it out there. He has not been good on the defensive or offensive boards. And Bruce Brown might be our best defensive rebounding center and offensive rebounding center right now. Look, I think it's KD, to be honest. But um, KD is the best at everything else on our <laughs> team as well. So I thought maybe give some love to Bruce. You know, the absence of Jeff Green obviously hurts the, the ability to space out and, and do dictate things a bit more offensively. You know, Claxton uh, probably showed his youth tonight. Uh, and, and Blake Griffin just was, he looked a lot older. He looked 32 tonight. He looked like he was 32 out there. Yeah, it looked like those knee injuries kind of caught up to him. And he just looks kind of fatigued, just not moving well laterally and just kind of a step slow on everything. And even mentally, like, Blake has been pretty good at like being a step ahead of where he needs to be because he understands he's not the same athlete. And tonight it was just felt like he got caught on a lot of those drives just being out of position. So like you said, Jack, it's really going to be, excuse me, interesting to see what the Nets do at the center position just because like no Jeff Green. And I think another underrated aspect of Jeff Green is he brings a little physicality to this team. Like he plays he tough and obviously we know the switchability and all the other great things he does, but they miss that. And like you mentioned earlier, the communication. And also I think he's one of the leaders of this team. Yeah. I think we sort of mentioned that in the, in the pregame spaces as well. So I don't know. I think that we probably need to see some more Bruce Brown time in, in my personal opinion, but that's if we we don't get a bounce back performance from Clax and Griffin because ultimately I think Bruce Brown has good chemistry with the starters and is a, a guy who who will fight and provide you energy defensively and be a bit of a pest out there at the very least. Whereas you know Clax was getting you know the switches weren't working for him tonight and you know, him offensively was not great either. And Blake Griffin had little to no impact on the game despite the fact that somehow he led the team in plus minus plus sixteen. I have no idea how that. Happened. I think a lot of that is probably the first couple minutes of the first quarter <laughs> i would agree with that as well and, you know the, the 19 fall run he was probably out there for all of it and wasn't out there for other uh, mini stretches where the nets were uh, a bit poorer so i don't know Nick, what do you think the the center spot seems to like uh, be a bit of a problem you know we were we were down that bad that people were calling for dj you know, I maybe would have considered DeAndre here, but here's the thing. If you play DeAndre, then all of a sudden your defense is drastically changing. You're not switching. Like, I just think that would be a terrible idea trying to, you know, have DeAndre to switch on the Jason Tatum in space. We just talked about him getting really comfortable. Unless, you know, your plan is you play DeAndre and then every time Jason Tatum goes to pick and roll, you trap him. You know, I think that would have been something to maybe consider there. And especially if Thompson is beating you so bad on the boards. And I think... 
you know, it's tough to say because like we actually haven't seen DeAndre Jordan play any postseason minutes for the Nets because obviously he wasn't in the bubble and he hasn't played yet. Like, would he be physical inside? Would he be able to take advantage of maybe some of those uh, mismatches that Claxton got under the rim, like against an Evan Fournier? We saw Clax miss a couple layups. Like, is that something DeAndre Jordan can do? I'm not sure. I've obviously never been, you know, a giant DeAndre Jordan supporter, but maybe it's something you consider. What do you think on that front, Jack? I mean, it has to be something you consider. There just wasn't enough changes in proactivity from yep. Steve Nash tonight. It was just all reactive. When something was going wrong, then a change would be made, you know, after five or ten minutes of, of bleeding had been done. You know, you're not going to stop the wound that way. So, yeah, if you if DJ's crap for four minutes, take him out. You know, it's it's not that hard to, to sort of do. I think that Steve Nash probably got found out, and this is the first game he has. And if he doesn't respond, then, you know, the criticism will continue to be warranted for him going forward. But, you know, DJ, I think, is a decent matchup for Tristan Thompson you know they have pretty similar skill sets I think Tristan Thompson is much better you know on the perimeter when he's, he's out there on a the switch but he's still not great DJ's shown some propensity there I think Tristan Thompson's physicality is better but if DJ is given an opportunity then it's just like you have to prove yourself now you know, yeah. these are these might be the only these are the minutes where you have to prove and it's just like you are worthy of playing in this postseason so I think that that level of it of you know, stakes that are on the line for him are going to have to force him to either put up or shut up. So whether that's in the next game, obviously it has to be now because we didn't see it tonight because Tristan Thompson uh, was by far the best center. He outplayed Blake Griffin and Nick Claxton to no end. And, you know, he was a big... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed reason why they got that energy you know got the home crowd into it five thousand sounded like ten fifteen thousand because of some of the things that tristan thompson was doing and it was goddamn frustrating as a, a brooklyn x fan because this is goddamn tristan thompson you know we're not going up against joel and beat and he's thrusting ass on the floor when he gets an and one we're going up against tristan thompson um, a lot of yeah, them were too just wide open like put back dunks you know you're not even talking about like Hey, you know, like when you see one of these great rebounders tip out the ball five times or something and like really hustle to make those plays, like you're like, oh, damn. But like the Nets, knowing who Tristan Thompson is, like you said, Jack, like box him out, put a body on him. If you, if you get the foul, whatever, it's going to happen. But like put some effort in there. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. 
And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Blake Griffin is awful at boxing out as well. You know, I, I think that I think he's, he gets stuck and he can't recover. Like he's not good at recovering to the opposing uh, big if he's yeah. somewhere else on the floor. Yeah, he, I mean, it's just a lack of just explosiveness that he clearly doesn't have, and we know that. And look, he's been overall positive as a Brooklyn Net, but you know the criticism is warranted tonight after his performance, and probably in game one too. But the Nets were that good that, well, the Nets were able to get the win. That the criticism doesn't necessarily happen then. So, yeah, there was a whole lot of things wrong with the center rotation, Nick, and you know the Boston Celtics did what a good team does and exploit those mismatches, exploit uh, the strengths that they did have, and their strengths did lie. Even without Robert Williams, a guy who put up a near triple-double with blocks the other night, um, they still were able to absolutely dominate and feast on the boards and feast uh, at that five position. You know, in terms of the rebounding, 33-27 to 27 defensively, 13-10 to 10 on the offensive boards, 46-37 to 37 overall. And it, it felt like a lot more, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, and just getting back to some of the center stuff, like it almost feels like Blake is just better suited for that bench role when he can come in and kind of have like those short bursts and make, you know, a couple hustle plays here and there. He just hasn't necessarily provided that same type of energy. And I'm not sure if it's, you know, the injuries, the age, the conditioning, I'm not really sure, but he hasn't had the same spark. And obviously you're not necessarily always going to get that in the postseason, but you're missing some of those like hustle plays. Yeah, and we're going up against the, the Boston Celtics right now. Yeah. Um, this going to get a lot harder if we happen to go up against the Milwaukee Bucks and we happen to go up against the Philadelphia 76ers. Like, we're going, this is the least of our worries in the first round. Yeah. So if we're getting exposed right now, then boy, oh boy, we're going to have to spend a lot of time in possible, you know, uh, series, second series or third series previews, Nick, about this center rotation and how we're going to work it because... I don't know. It's 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 a worrying trend, at least after this one game. But who knows? Makes you appreciate Jeff Green a little more. <laughs> and, I mean, it really does, and I think we've appreciated Uncle Jeff probably as as much as any other. But I don't know. We could go on for for days and days about the the lack of intensity, the lack of production from uh, the big man position, but the lack of production outside of Kevin Durant and James Harden, Nick, was pretty striking. 80 points between those two, 30 and 24 or 42 from the field, and the rest of, including Kyrie Irving and the rest of the team, 39 points on 14 or 40 shooting, or 14 or 42 shooting. It was... Just it, you, it just proves that basketball uh, is beyond the superstars, and you can have you can be that good. And Kevin Durant and James Harden were incredible tonight, um, but they just there was just no support at all. Yeah, no support, and and I think like even the Nets scored 119 points. I think that's plenty to win a playoff game. It's more so like the role players didn't hit shots, and they also did not play great defensively and make a lot of those extra effort plays. And I think that's what really hurts you. If you're not getting, you know, a plus performance on one end of the floor, now you're like, okay, like what is this guy really providing out there? And I think, you know, it stuck out a little bit more with the big men like we just talked about for the last five minutes. But if you're not getting that plus, I'm not sure, you know, it's like, okay, where do we go from here? Like obviously, yeah. you know, everyone's entitled to a bad game. And I think a lot of this was just not being mentally engaged, ready for a great kind of punch from the Celtics. And then that's just kind of maybe not respecting their opponent enough. Yeah, what do you think went wrong with Kyrie Irving, Nick? 
You know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say I know Kyrie and how he feels, but I would assume that maybe some of the booing and some of the chants had an impact on him, or it could just be a coincidence and he, this was just he was due for a bad game. You know, he missed a lot of shots that he typically hits. You know, I thought some of the the shot making, I mean the 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 shot decisions, you know, where he was taking shots at what time in the shot clock he was taking them wasn't necessarily great. But, you know, it's a bad game. You know, throw it behind us. I'm not sure it's something I'm super concerned about. We've seen him bounce back from performances like this kind of routinely. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a one-game sample size, but I think the criticism is more than warranted after this performance. And, look, we don't have to talk about the booing and Kyrie yeah. sort of like, you know, you know, relishing it a little bit. Cool, that's fine. But uh, I think just talking about his execution and his production, defensively, we've gone over it. He was absolutely awful. Offensively as well, he short-armed so many shots that it was just like, oh, that's going in. Oh, wait, no, it's not. It's bouncing in. It's rimming out. Or it, it, it's short. It, it's And a lot of those shots are, are good Kyrie Irving shots. And so I think some of it was you know, him just missing. And some of it as well was like he takes early you know, pull-up threes when yep. we're down eight. And it's just like James Harden and Kevin Durant are cooking like no one else's business. Give them the ball, Kai. Like, what yep. the hell are you doing? We don't need you to play hero basketball right now. And he's got those tendencies, and those tendencies have come out probably less so in the latter points of this season. And we're on show probably a little bit more early in the season. So hopefully, you know, he just has a bit more awareness. And maybe KD just goes, look, dude, Give me the ball for God's sakes. I've got like this, I've got Romeo Langford on me. Let me yep. cook. I'm cooking everyone tonight. You know, let give it to James Harden. He's cooking off uh, Tristan Thompson and getting free throws every single time. So I think that some of the shot selection from Kyrie was poor. Um, he's just a look, he rebounded the ball pretty well, like six boards and including a couple offensive boards. You know, I thought that I do like that he does fight there. Um, and, and I think that that was a decent enough sign. But yeah, the ball just stuck when it, whenever it was in his hands, it seemed, but at least from like the, the final three quarters. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I think he did get a little stagnant in terms of passing the ball. And I think in the last game, you know, he was one of the reasons the Nets offense was so smooth is because he does get a ton of attention when he gets it and he hits a wide open Joe Harris or whoever it might be. So that pass in the last game when you and Lucas were talk talking about it, that, that pass is going to go to the wayside, but that's like a James Harden level pass. Yeah. And it's just like, it was reflective of the team overall tonight, Nick, because our ball movement was paltry, 16 assists. That's awful. Yeah, it really is because we've seen we saw more assists from the Nets in the first half of game two, like literally. So it's just like, all right, what are we doing here? And I think you can watch the offense and you can kind of see it get stagnant. You know what I mean? You can see the lack of ball movement, the lack of player movement, the lack of screens and kind of almost falling to the trap of what Boston wants you to do, because it's great when Kevin Durant and James Harden can score, you know, a combined 80 points. But you also want to find rhythm for some of these other role players and get them in part of the offense and kind of put them in position to succeed. Because I think overall that makes you more difficult to defend. But again, like I said, I think 119 points is enough to win a playoff game. Really, my problem today is more so with everyone's defense and the lack of you know rebounding. Yeah, I, I think you are right in that respect. I think some of it is on the role plays to actually do something a little bit more. I'm not going to blame James Harden and, and Kevin Durant, despite you know the fact that KD only had one assist. James Harden had ten, so it's not like he was doing James anything. James Harden wrong. was really, really good. He was incredible. Like, uh, like both of them were were awful, and you know it's unfortunate because it's probably James Harden's best game, one of his best games at Brooklyn Nets, and it's going to be forgotten because of the the fact that the Nets did lose this one. And, you know, early on, we we saw, like, you know, KD got doubled a little bit, and we, we saw some cuts from Tyler Johnson and such. Yep. You know, that's why I think Bruce Brown 
is probably a better fit with, with a lot of these guys because he does create movement. You know, put him out there with Joe Harris and, and the starters. You know, I think that it just it looks better. It, it just it creates a better flow for the team uh, on the offensive end of the floor. You know, Bruce is a willing screener. He wants to screen. He likes screening. He he likes makes that physical contact. His shoulders are massive. He wants to feel that contact down like no one else's business. So, I think that there needs to be an increase in the minutes load for, for Bruce Brown beyond 15. I thought that wasn't enough for him. I don't care for you how many shots he's taking because I think he he does things beyond the box score that. A lot of the other guys can't. Landry Shaman needs to get the, the see the shot falling to have an impact. You know, Tyler Johnson can a little bit. He's probably a facsimile somewhere in between both of those guys. You know, Clash is someone who you know, I, I think he he's okay when you know you have to align his minutes with, with uh, James Harden and Joe Harris was just pulling the, the the second, third, and fourth quarters. He he had hit some three point shots that were clanking like I've never seen him clank before. So uh, I think that everyone outside of of KD and James were, yeah, really, really bad. Yeah, I think you summarized it pretty well. I mean, just to talk a little bit more about James Harden, I guess, specifically, just like you said, Jack, one of probably his best performances as a net, you know, especially in the postseason, 41 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds, 11 of 18 from the field, 7 of 12 from the three-point line, 12 of 13 from the free-throw line. I mean, he had the step-back cooking tonight. I think when he has that step-back cooking, that's really tough to stop. Really great at kind of getting to the rim. You know, I saw some people kind of talking about the burst. You had like two sides of the party. Some people thought he looked quick tonight. Some people yeah. thought he's still, still looking slow. I think it's more so somewhere in between where I think it kind of is fluctuating. But I felt like he was more aggressive. And I thought physically he did a nice job of kind of putting Boston's weaker defenders on his shoulder. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think this was almost like a, a James Harden, Houston Rockets style performance in a lot yep. of ways. You know, we needed him to sort of go, okay, James, we need to take some shots here. It's not sort of falling. And, you know, he or KD will go on these mini runs by themselves. And yep. that, that that's what superstars do. That's what the best of the best do. And, you know, we certainly didn't lose the game because of what James Harden was doing out there. Um, he was absolutely awesome. So, look, one of the best James Harden performances we've seen is a Brooklyn Net. Good to see him sort of find some form. Hopefully he can bring that into game three as well. But, yeah, it, it just just it just shows that if the Nets aren't moving the ball in terms of outside of James, then something is gonna go wrong. You know, you can ISO a team to death sometimes when you have the amount of isolation talent in case. If Kyrie was I, cooking, you can get away with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and ultimately, you know, the isolation ball just didn't work tonight. It's as it's just plain and simple. And you know, I think Lucas touched on a pretty good point in the last part where it's just like the isolation the style of basketball um, fed the ball movement. It's just like, okay, we'll, we'll get Katie and ISO and then he'll kick it out and the ball will fizz around the perimeter a little bit. Or James Harden will, will, will take a little bit, drive it and kick. Or, or Kyrie Irving will do the same. It just seemed like, I don't know, I, I think that they'll watch a, a little bit of film here and there and be able to see you know, why the ball didn't move the, the way it did. And some of it was probably shot-making as well. I think that, you know, you get a couple extra assists here and there. But Katie was just probably more pure scorer style tonight. And, and that's totally fine. He's got the ability to do so many things. We didn't need him to necessarily assist and, and throw dimes out there. We needed him to score because he had to bail us out of a, a lot of possessions. So, yeah, hopefully the the ball movement and the, and the flow does start to happen because... It's 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 interesting to say, you know, probably a lot of people would be like, ah, the Brooklyn Nets are fine. Just, just give them the ball, them ISO, find the mismatch. But they didn't find the mismatches in the second half, and they were ISO, they were continuing to ISO. So it's just like, you know, all right, you can ISO and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart, but it's not going to be as easy if you are doing the same thing as what you did in the first quarter and, and the first two games on Kimball Walker and Evan Fournier. 
Yeah, especially too, because I think another underrated aspect of that is getting them in foul trouble. You know what I mean? They did at different points in this game. You know, James Harden, Kevin Durant shot a ton of free throws, but getting a team in the bonus super early is always beneficial. And just one reason I think the ball was a little bit more stagnant, I'll give some credit to Boston. I thought they made some adjustments on the rotations where some of the reads where it felt like the Nets were ready to make, Boston had a defender there, and then the Nets had to take that split second, which in the postseason is a big deal. Or kind of forcing players like Nick Claxton in the position where, all right, we're going to leave Claxton open. Now he has to make a decision, and he definitely looked hesitant tonight. Yeah, Kyrie was blitzed a lot, and I thought that yeah. was a good decision. And it was just like they didn't really blitz James Harden a lot because they know his passing acumen and his yeah. ability to find angles for open players and cutting players. You know, he wants those to come to him. It's like him and Jokic and LeBron. They love it when you send the double towards him. But you throw it at Kyrie. I, I thought Kyrie had some nice passing in the, in the first half to two clacks and two different cutters, and he made the right he made the right decisions. It's just that you know Clax was forcing it a little bit too much, and, and Clax's awareness wasn't there. He wasn't, you know, necessarily as decisive as you put one of players to be because, like you said, Nick, every second, every possession matters, every pass matters um, in in postseason basketball. And you know, Clax just wasn't up to it tonight. And you know, hopefully, this is a learning experience from him, and he puts it to the wayside. And it's like, all right, cool, I'm ready for the next one. Game three, it ain't gonna happen again. Yeah, I think also like young players adjust to the NBA. You always hear like the game is so fast, but like postseason basketball is like two times the speed. So I think he needs some time to adjust where obviously he's seen minutes in the first two games. But tonight I feel like Boston was like, all right, we're going to put pressure on this kid to make plays. And Claxton was kind of a little bit confused in different situations. And like in the past, you think, oh, Evan Fournier is under the rim. Like just turn around and attack him aggressively where Claxton kind of hesitated, had to take the extra dribble, not being as big as he is. You know, Fournier is able to get him a little bit farther away from the rim than he wants to be. Like you said, hopefully this is a learning experience. I thought his defense on uh, Jason Tatum was fine for a big. Like it wasn't as elite as we've seen in the past, but like Tatum is just going to hit good shots. Like that's what that kid can do. Like he scored 50 points for a reason. It's not like he's a bad player. So uh, I'm not super concerned with Claxton, but definitely not the most promising night of basketball for him. I think he's still... He needs to really learn from this series, hopefully for the next two or even more. In terms of, I guess, the adjustments you would make if you're Steve Nash, Nick, you know, we, we talked about the rotations. I've sort of harped on what I would do in terms of, you know, aligning Bruce Brown a little bit more, keep the minutes with, with Clax and James Harden at the same, um, similar probably with Joe Harris too. What adjustments would you make in terms of rotation? You know, would you throw Alizé Johnson out there for a bit of a spark? You know, DeAndre Jordan, we, we sort of t- touched on a little bit. Is there anything else, you know, that we haven't necessarily, you know, brought to the brought to light that you would probably change happening in, in Game 4? Yeah, I honestly think I would... I can't believe I'm saying this, but uh, I would probably consider playing DeAndre Jordan Game 4. I think if Claxton and Blake Griffin don't perform at a high level, like in its third quarter or the second quarter, like you said, put DeAndre out there. If he plays like trash bench him it's the playoffs I think that's also something that like Steve Nash needs to be a little bit more aggressive and proactive like you kind of mentioned earlier like yo make crazy adjustments like what's the worst thing that can happen for one minute in the game you know what I mean I get it's a postseason every possession counts but like it felt like tonight's game was like the Nets just constantly did the same thing over and over and over again and they ended up with the same result and you know that's something we've talked about in the past where it's like all right adjustments are needed here yeah, Eric Spolstra, Nick Nurse, these guys are happy to throw some things at the wall. And yeah, if they get some cake on their face, so be it. But it's just like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen unless you try something. Yeah. Look, that's not necessarily a philosophy for life. It's just for this basketball. It, it, it might be as well. But yeah, look, it's not like DJ was going to be... Blake Griffin gave us nothing. Like, he got one like nice little poster. 
But outside of that, like DJ can at least, I, I, if you're putting him out there with James Harden, you've got a little bit of a lob threat there. And look, it's not that he's going to lose his legs just because he hasn't played for however many games. He can still, you know, be a vertical spacer as, as can Clax. Blake Griffin isn't that anymore. Like he, you know, he he's posterizing dudes or whatever off his own drives, but he ain't a vertical threat. At least I haven't seen it. In, and it's not consistent. Like his hops aren't there every single moment. It's like he has to save the juice for that specific thing. And I think DeAndre provides you like a more of a physical uh, vertical spacer, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like you throw the oop up and he can kind of come through and finish it. So, yeah, I'll be intrigued to see what Steve Nash does in this situation and how he can kind of adjust to the adjustments in which Boston made. And like you said, I think a lot of it, too, is like you watch the game and you enjoy it. But in these situations, like it's so tactical it kind of requires a rewatch to figure out every single thing that went on in this game. But I think honestly, a lot of it I can easily say is just like the Nets defense. Like if I had to give you one reason why they lost today, it's just their defense. Yeah. Defense and rebounding, you know, yeah. they allowed penetration and then offensively, I don't think that they attacked uh, enough yep. themselves. And that comes down to like, you know, I guess the isolation basketball. I think we saw it a little bit more in the final quarter, you know, guys trying to really get deep into the paint, get some free throws. You know, outside of KD and James Hunt, I don't think Kyrie Irving did a good enough job of that. You know, it's just like we've seen Kai, you know, cook Marcus Smart time and time again. But it's just like if you're taking a mid-range or you're taking a 20-footer, you know, that's a win for for the Celtics defense. So I think teams need to do a better job. of The team needs to do a better job of that for the entire game. Press yep. it. Press. Be aggressive. But if Robert Williams isn't out there, you should be doing it even more. And it seems like they did it less um, which was a, a bit frustrating because, you know, it's easy buckets. Get them in the bonus. You know, the Nets did a good job of that. The Celtics aren't an amazing interior defensive team when Robert Williams isn't out there. In fact, they're yeah. pretty poor. Um, you know, what Grant Williams and Tristan Thompson are going to be guarding the rim. Yeah, it's fine for possessions here and there. It's probably better than the Brooklyn Nets have. So it's, uh, you know, looking in the mirror a little bit. But ultimately, it's still average overall. Yeah, I 100% agree, Jack. I mean, Tristan Thompson's never been an elite rim protector. Grant Williams is undersized. And it's not like Boston's full of great perimeter defenders. You know, we've talked about Evan Fournier. We've talked about Kemba Walker, some of the young guys that have to get put out there. No reason for the Nets not to spend more time in the paint. And I think, like you said, Jack, in the fourth quarter, we saw that. And that's why the Nets probably ended up winning that quarter. And especially when you get to the free throw line, it makes your life easier defensively because you can set up in the half court where Boston was able to get some easier buckets with that semi-transition. Yeah, and don't go away from what works. Like, if you're yeah. hunting the switches, keep hunting the switches. Don't settle for Boston like, did oh. it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Boston did it. Like, copy them. We're better in an isolation setting. You know, Jason Tatum was, was great tonight, but he's been pretty poor the entire series. It's going to take this from Jason Tatum for the team to, to, to beat the Brooklyn Nets with the amount of talent that they do have on, on deck. This was a poor, poor game for the Brooklyn Nets, and they lost by six, and they were right in it. You know, other than the, the first quarter, it was all Boston. You know, Boston outscored them in the in the first, uh, in the second, and the third, and it took you know some uh, you know a back a bit of a back and forth fourth quarter, but the Brooklyn Nets were still able to get a little bit of an ascendancy there. So it's gonna just isolate Tatum defensively and just think about what's the game plan. This is the game plan we need to have defensively is focused on one of the best young up and coming wings in the league. Stop him. We stop Boston scoring. Like give Marcus Smart open threes, let Kemba Walker cook a little bit. And you know, maybe if he does get a little bit hot, I don't, I just don't see it happening unless Jason Tatum is, is scoring 40 points plus. I agree. I think 
your number one priority defensively is to frustrate Jason Tatum. And I think there just wasn't enough creativity defensively from the Nets, and they made life too easy for him on numerous occasions. So that's on Steve Nash, that's on the coaching staff, that's on the players. Like, do a better job going to the game four. And I think we... I'm not saying like we learned much from this game. Like we learned it's obviously a one game sample size and the centers didn't play well, but like going to game four, I think we can learn a little bit about the nets from the response they have. And, and I'm not saying they need to win by 30. It's more so about showcasing the right intensity. And they didn't have that tonight. Yeah. I mean, we talked about the fact that do the nets need to get a punch in the face? Um, but, and, and in, in terms of It'd be beneficial, you know, it, it, Look, hopefully it is. You know, the adversity is there. You know, we we said that they don't necessarily need to have it, but they are. They've faced it now, and and this is where you respond. This is where you go. All right, now is the time. Now is the time to sort of let's go, let's do it, um, and and let's sort of get thing get the game back on our terms because ultimately, yeah, but let's let's get it going. You know, game four is is the biggest game of this series. Um, <laughs> to put it um, to to summarize something that's pretty goddamn obvious, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, you're right, Jack. Obviously, we'll see how the Nets respond, how the Celtics respond, and if the Nets pick up that intensity. And I guess, you know, in a positive light, it does hopefully give Jeff Green an extra day of rest. <laughs> um, I'm going to... Christian Winfield doing a great job jumping into the mentions of Tony Jones of The Athletic. He said this, Tony Jones, Tonight we saw the part of the game that KD lost with his Achilles injury. He's still one of the best offensive players in basketball, but he's not the defender he was before the injury. He was our best defensive player tonight. Like, if, if that's what you take away from this game, stick to watching Rudy Gobert and his screen assists, my dude. Yeah, I mean, I felt like this was a game where you saw a lot of people comment on and they obviously didn't watch game one or game two. And I think if you think that, then you probably didn't watch the game because I thought, you know, a big part of the Celtics game plan was to get Kevin Durant off of Jason Tatum, you know, to make his life easier. And I think it was pretty obviously obvious over the first two games that KD's length had an impact on Tatum's offense. Yeah, that was just that's abo- that's abhorrently stupid. If that's what you take away from this game, like he was incredible offensively, he wasn't amazing defensively, but he was still no, he probably still was the Nets' best defensive player, yeah. like by a probably considerable margin too. So if that's what you're looking at when you watch the Brooklyn Nets play against the Boston Celtics tonight, then you need to watch something else, mate. Because uh, I don't know if you're watching the right basketball. Like that's just abho- that's just so dumb, so 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 dumb. Yeah, I 100% agree, Jack. And I think, because like, there's plenty of other fair takes. If you said Blake Griffin's not playable in a yeah. closing lineup for the Nets, or you know maybe they should not start him, his defense is terrible, or something like that, you know I'd accept that because there's some more evidence in Game One and Game Two of that, where it's just like uh, people like to make you know hot takes. That's a business. <laughs> yeah, but like, look, he does some some good work for the Athletic and 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 the Utah Jazz or whatever, but. I, I, I normally like smart people say smart things and occasionally we're all uh, you know prone to, to making a dumb take every now and then you know myself more than probably other people but I mean I these guys to win this game by 20 <laughs> yeah look I, I, I said well so I was a little bit closer um, but yeah in all honesty it's just like what like just I, I, I just I'm, I'm a little bit befuddled by how someone can actually put that out there into the ether. Like, yeah, I I was a little bit sort of shaky when I'm, you know, me and you chat in the DMs and some things that are said in there, they'll they'll be locked away forever in, in a lot of the group chats as well. But in all honesty, I was like, yeah, I don't think the Nets have got this uh, right now when they went down by I think like 17 or whatever. But then they start chipping a little way at it and I'm like, oh, Nick's going to throw something in my face a little bit probably on, on the post-game buzz. But look, 
I, I was I was very unhappy to be right about that, but I did think that the Nets were coming back a little bit. But there's just some things that are just like so blatantly obvious, like you said, Nick, like Blake Griffin, Clax. You could say, man, Clax doesn't have it right now. And while I would be like, yeah, it's just one game for him, I would agree with you more than this ridiculously stupid opinion. Or if you just said the net centers suck, like I would, I don't think you're correct, but I would understand the take based off of what we've seen tonight. So, you know, and again, like we talked about, it's like, it feels like we were talking about this game and doing the recap and the Nets lost by 20. You know, they lost by six. They had multiple opportunities to win. They had, you know, the lead cut to, I think, five or six or, or even, you know, close. There's chances to get it to four points or whatever it might be. And the Nets just didn't do it. You know, they missed open shots. We talked about Joe Harris, you know, airballing a three in the fourth quarter. You know, KD missed a couple free throws. You're just looking at different variables and even just, you know, one simple thing. You cut Tristan Thompson's offensive rebounds in half and you probably win this game or you end up in overtime. Yeah, there was a, a few little things. The Nets played as poorly as they did and they were still within it. And it just shows you that in, in playoff basketball, you got to bring your A game. And it Every possession. Every single possession, and it, it seemed to me that 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 wasn't there. You know, and, and it's as yeah. simple as that. And you know, this is postseason basketball, Nick. Every every possession matters. Every pass matters. Every shot matters. Um, every defensive possession matters. So the Nets got to really sort of switch themselves on. And I thought that they would uh, a, a little bit more because KD, you know, in that second quarter, seemed to be a little bit frustrated. I'm like, okay, KD's going to lift the guys here. And there were a lot of times that he did do that. And James Harden was as well. But you know, we need a. Yeah, you know, a few more performers to to jump on the bandwagon too, because you know it, it was too little um, and too few who were who were performing tonight for the Brooklyn Nets on both ends of the floor. A hundred percent agree, Jack. And hopefully, this is the last loss we have to talk about for the Nets all postseason. But I don't know if that's going to be the case. Sixteen and one, come on, <laughs> no, nah, still in play. Look, I, I ultimately don't think that's going to happen. But look, ultimately, what matters, Nick, is Game Four, and there are some adjustments that can be made. Some easy fixes, some not so easy fixes, um, and it's in the Nets' hands right now. You know, it's gonna. I think the crowd is gonna be. Uh, I think they're allowed to have a full crowd. I think at yep. TD Garden again, so it's gonna be a hello atmosphere in there, and, and it's gonna be on the Nets to deal with that, uh, as well as take away all the bad things that they did tonight and do some much more better things. Not more better, no, much more good things. I hate <laughs> when people say more better. Um, it's just logistically and uh, grammatically wrong. So. Yeah, uh, if I've been a little bit incoherent on this podcast, do forgive me. When the Nets lose, I get up in my feelings a little bit, uh, Drake style. <laughs> no, I, and I think another positive just on a final note is like like you said, Jack, a lot of the adjustments are somewhat easy fixes. A lot of it was kind of like I mentioned earlier, self-inflicted. Clean up those things, you probably win this game. And obviously Boston, I think, is going to play with a, a level of intensity with all those fans, but the Nets should too. You know, it's a game four. It's a big postseason game, essentially come out with the right energy and there's no reason you should lose but jack anything else before we get out here nah man um let's just hope uh game four is a a, a w and we're recapping some, some nets wins and we see you know the the role players step up and the defense lock in a little bit yep 100 jack always a pleasure big thanks everybody for listening check the buzz on all stream platforms sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.